This is Scott, host of the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast and Black author. You could get all three of my books. My first book, Systematic Racism and Capitalism, Alliance of Oppression. My second book, Hypocrisy in America, The Veil of White Supremacy. And my third book, my first novel, Exodus 2035, all available on Amazon.com and Amazon Kindle. If you don't have a Kindle, you can download the Kindle app to your smartphone or tablet, and you can access those products. Thanks for listening. An official here at the county jail tells us the suspect has been moved to another facility. Local newspaper, The Daily Camera, reporting that the move is due to concerns for his safety and threats made against him. Meanwhile, yesterday, for the very first time, the suspect appeared in court for a hearing that lasted around eight minutes. Arriving in court in a wheelchair, the man authorities say killed 10 people, faced a judge for the first time since the deadly shooting, saying only one word after being advised of his rights. Sir, do you understand those rights as I've explained them to you this morning? I need you to answer out loud. Yes. Okay. Represented by a public defender, the 21-year-old did not enter a plea. He's now facing 10 counts of first-degree murder and one count of attempted murder for allegedly opening fire at this grocery store. The defense focusing on their client's mental health, which law enforcement officials tell NBC News may be a significant factor in the shooting. Our position is that we cannot do anything until we are able to fully assess Mr. Elisa's mental illness. This is the beginning of a lengthy process that I anticipate will take at least a year to try to completion. Meanwhile, the FBI is still working to process the crime scene. Ten lives were cut short, including Terry Liker. Turn to some, some tragic news, the deadly shootings in Atlanta, killing at least eight people. A suspect is in custody this morning, and police across the country are on alert this morning as well, fearing the attacks may have targeted the Asian community. Steve Osasami is in Atlanta with more as the FBI now gets involved. Good morning, Steve. That's right, Michael. The FBI is working with local law enforcement here investigating these shootings. And while it's not clear what led to these killings, it is impossible to ignore that these killings happened at Asian businesses like this one directly behind me in Atlanta and that most of the victims were Asian women. Georgia authorities are investigating three crime scenes across two counties and what looks like a series of deadly shootings at Asian massage parlors. Shot up a swap there. They've shot up two spots here in zone two. After a police chase that took them south of Atlanta, authorities arrested this man, 21-year-old Robert Aaron Long. Police say he was seen on surveillance video outside the scene of the first shooting around 5 p.m. Tuesday at Young Asian Massage Parlor in a North Atlanta suburb. Moments after these pictures, police say he started gunning people down. We do not have a witness that actually is alive right now that can tell us who, uh, who shot him. People were running for their lives. Police say that two Asian women, a white woman and a white man, were killed. They say a man who was Latino survived his wounds. His niece says he wasn't even at the business and was caught in the gunfire. He was coming out of the store beside the massage parlor and the other store beside it, and he was outside. Investigators say it is extremely likely that Long is the same gunman seen at two other shootings more than 30 miles away in northeast Atlanta. And they 
point to a black SUV seen on surveillance video. Set at these locations for allowing him to have an outlet for his addiction. Elaborate on yeah, let me go into a little bit of detail. So the suspect did uh, take responsibility for the shootings. Um, he uh, said that early on once we began the interviews with him. Um, he claims that these, and as the chief said, we know this is still early, but he does claim that it was not racially motivated. He apparently has an issue, uh, what he considers a, a sex fiction, and sees these locations as something that allows him to uh, to um, to go to these places, and, and it's a temptation for him that he wanted to eliminate. Um, like I said, it's still early on, but those those were comments that he made. Did he discuss any kind of religious uh, motivation for this, or was he responsible? Not that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware of. Or political. Non-political. I've heard nothing about politics. And he censored his social media history. Is that something you've been able to look at? That's something that investigators, I mean, they've been working on all along, and that's certainly one of the things they'll be doing. Sheriff, did you have a sense that he understood what he, the gravity of what he did? Um, when I when we sp I spoke with investigators, they interviewed him this morning, and I, uh, they got that impression that yes, he he understood um, the gravity of it, and he was pretty much fed up, and it then kind of at the end of his rope, and uh, and yesterday was a really bad day for him, and this is what he did. Remorseful. He, uh, Welcome back to the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. Within a week, two mass shootings. The most recent, Boulder, Colorado. 10 people dead at a grocery store and the one from the clip I just played a couple weeks ago down in Atlanta eight people dead at a mass shooting at multiple Asian owned businesses by a 21 year old white man who said this was not racially motivated this was not politically motivated you know he was just having a bad day you know woke up on the wrong side of the bed we all been there was having a rough one had to break out the AR-15 and, um, you know, murder a bunch of people, shoot up multiple businesses because, you know, just 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 having a rough day out there, guys. Didn't have anything to do with race or anything like that. Now, this young man said he shot up these multiple in the Atlanta incident. He shot up these multiple Asian businesses, killing eight people, six of which were Asian women in this mass shooting spree because he had a sex addiction. Now, that's something I don't even understand. You, know, you got a sex addiction and to buy, in order to fight the sex addiction, you got to pick up a rifle and go murder people. I, I really don't understand that. I think it's interesting. You know, down, he didn't go to the white strip club and shoot that up. He, he didn't go to the to the white owned um, you know, adult film store and let loose with his assault rifle. He didn't go down to, you know, wherever the white prostitutes hang out at and, and shoot up them. He went to the Asian owned businesses and let loose because, you know, he has a sex addiction and he wants to target them. <laughs> if he if, if he eliminates all the all the nail salons and all the massage parlors, then then he'll be cured, which makes no sense at all. I will say that the national media is not talking about this as much as they are talking about what happened in Boulder, Colorado. That has pretty much picked up national media coverage to 10 people killed at the grocery store at Boulder, Colorado, most of which were classified as Caucasian people. That has overshadowed, overshadowed the mass shooting in Atlanta that a young white man was the perpetrator and killing a bunch of non-white people. 
out of the eight people killed or out of the yes out of the eight people killed i believe six were asian now i remember all last month they were trying to push this narrative of well not trying to push a narrative of i remember all last month the narrative was stop asian and pacific islander hate and a lot of the stories were black people attacking asian people that you know as if there is a systematic effort amongst black people in america attacking asian people now if there is one please hit me up with your comments and and let me know but as far as i'm aware of there is no nationwide systemic effort amongst black people to attack asians a lot of what i saw was random acts of violence uh, people getting robbed people getting beat up people you know being bullied and it was just random acts of violence that's not a systemic effort but throughout these random acts of violence this this message was hey black people y'all need to stop doing this hey black leadership y'all need to talk to black people and tell them to stop beating up asian people stop attacking asian business owners stop stop verbally abusing asians y'all need to do this now we just had an incident where a white man targeted three different asian businesses with an assault rifle and murdered people and they said they're treating him as an individual they're saying he was a lone wolf and that he had a bad day when it comes to black folks other groups pretty much just treat us like one big negro black people are, are a monolith black people we're, we're just one big community <laughs> so if 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 one black pe- per if one black person commits one random act of violence is hey black leadership talk to black people and tell them to get themselves together but if a white man picks up an AR-15 and lets loose on three different Asian businesses, murdering multiple people, they don't say, hey, white people, get your stuff together. They treat it like a long wolf. There is only one systematic effort to oppress people, and that is systematic racism, white supremacy. Down in Georgia, they passed some new voting restrictions. Georgia's Republican governor, Brian Kemp, on Thursday signed into law a sweeping elections bill that would impose new restrictions on voting. In the state that helped Democrats win the White House and gain razor-thin control of the U.S. Senate. The legislation adds a new ID requirement for absentee ballots, limits ballot drop boxes, and makes it a misdemeanor crime to give food or drinks to voters waiting in long lines. What I'm worried about is how un-American this whole initiative is. It's sick. Democrats and voting rights activists say the bill is among the country's most damaging attempts to limit voting and say it's designed to reduce the influence of black voters. The Georgia legislation, which Republicans say would make voting more secure, is one of more than 250 bills Republicans have filed nationwide, proposing new voting limits since former President Donald Trump lost the 2020 election. Republicans have seized on Trump's unsubstantiated claims of election fraud to push for the restrictions. And on Thursday, President Joe Biden blasted these efforts as un-American. The Republican voters I know find this despicable. I mean, this is gigantic what they're trying to do, and it cannot be sustained. The American Civil Liberties Union on Thursday denounced Georgia's legislation, bluntly calling it an anti-voter bill. All right, so back down to Georgia we go. Down in Georgia, the governor down there just passed some new voting restrictions that makes voting just a little bit tougher. 
they make ID laws a little bit tougher. They on voting day, the cutoff time to vote, it will be at 5 p.m. You it will be a crime. I must have mean a crime to serve anybody in a line for voting to give them water or snacks of food. We all know for elderly people, it's very tough for them to stand in long lines for an extended period of time. So, you know, they may need a snack. They may need some water. Basically, here's what happened in the last presidential election. Georgia flipped from red to blue, which is the first time probably ever. (laughs) Jamie, Georgia has always been red, but it flipped from red to blue. So now. What they're trying to do is in order to combat that in the future, they're trying to pass stricter voting restrictions to try to discourage or deter or to prevent people in the so-called Democratic areas in Georgia from voting in order to keep Georgia red. That's really what this is all about. They want to prevent people in the liberal areas from voting, from being able to vote make it uncomfortable for them to vote make it difficult for them to vote so they'll just say to hell with it i'm not going to vote and that way georgia can stay red again that's really what this is all about it's another jim crow tactic it's basically let's pass some legislation that will make it tougher for the negras to make their voice heard in the great state of georgia president biden also commented on the political use of the filibuster and whether or not he would use executive order to get rid of it. Now, this may be a term many people have heard before, but don't really know what it is. A filibuster is basically a informal term for any attempt to block or delay Senate action on a bill or other matter by debating it at length by offering numerous political motions or by any other means delaying or obstructing actions. So basically when a bill is presented that opposing senators don't want passed, they have a unlimited time to debate it. So they'll just get up and debate and debate and debate and debate for hours and hours and hours just to delay the passing of the bill and once they finish one of their colleagues will get up and he'll debate and debate and debate it just becomes a time wasting tactic and nothing ever gets done and in the senate you are granted a unlimited time period to debate anything a senator can get up and talk for hours upon hours and actually the longest filibuster in recorded history goes to Senator Strom Thurmond of South Carolina in 1957. On August 28, 1957, United States Senator Strom Thurmond of South Carolina began a filibuster intended to stop the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1957. It began at 8.54 p.m. and lasted until, until 9.24 p.m. the following day for a total length of 24 hours and 18 minutes. This is the longest filibuster a single person in U.S. Senate history has ever had, and the record stands till this day. So in order to delay the passage of the Civil Rights Act, 
1957, Strom Thurmond literally got up and talked for over 24 hours in order to delay voting of the bill. Now, that is an historic moment in white supremacist history, brother. This man got up and talked for 24 hours on how the Civil Rights Act is a bad idea. I've never talked for 24 hours about anything, but in 1957, he did it. And last week down in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the mayor down there, a black mayor, he was giving his thoughts on reparations, and uh, he said this. Board, uh, this evening, and I personally believe that reparations is important. And what we're doing in Tulsa is some portion of reparations we had the the uh the oklahoma city uh thunder basketball team uh gave two hundred fifty thousand dollars and they're starting a a a thunder fellows a a thunders fellows program that teaches african-american kids in tulsa the analytics of basketball not just playing basketball we have uh we're working with the tulsa chamber to start a program with 30 uh, African-American kids will be uh, mentored by corporations all the way through college. These are forms of reparations. Uh, I believe that there are several ways to have it. Uh, this is one of them. And there are. Now, let's be clear. If you think teaching black kids the analyst analytics of basketball is reparations drop me a comment let me know you can follow me on instagram at unprocessed underscore knowledge reparations is money the ancestors of black people who spent 245 years in bondage forced into slave labor you can't repay that by you know teaching people about teaching black children about free throw percentages keeping track of the rebounds field goal percentages How many assists did LeBron James have last night? The analytics, teaching children the analytics of basketball has nothing to do with that. That is not a form of reparations at all. That's just, you know, teaching, teaching kids, teaching kids basketball, (laughs) you know, the fundamentals of the game, how to keep, you know, the analytics of basketball, how to keep score, um, what, what to do in certain situations, situational basketball, you're teaching them basketball. I don't think teaching black kids, I I don't understand how teaching uh, black kids basketball is a form of reparations. I think black people as a group have proven that we know how to play basketball. All right. We've we've proven that we've we've proven (laughs) that we know how to play sports. All right. Now, the analytics of basketball. Cool. All right. Maybe there's a career in that. But essentially, you're just giving kids a free class. That ain't reparations, right? I mean, I'm assuming anybody could take this. I'm assuming any kid can take this class. I'm assuming you don't necessarily have to be a black kid in order to take this class if it was funded by uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm I'm assuming that white kids, Asian kids, uh, Latino kids, Native American kids, Pacific Islander kids, all kids, no matter where you come from, no matter what you are, I'm assuming if you're interested in taking this class that's funded by the Oklahoma City Thunder, you can take it. But here's the thing. During that 245 years of slave labor, it wasn't Latinos and 
Nate and Asians and Pacific Islanders and, you know, Irish kids. It was black folks. All right. <laughs> and we are owed a debt. Now, if you ain't going to pay it, if you have no plan to pay it, just say that. Let's not make up a story and say, well, hey, we are providing this service. Not even we. The Oklahoma City Thunder is providing this service to the community. And uh, that's a form of reparations for black people. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> I mean, they just saying anything out their mouth at this point. man. Let's talk about black farmers. The covid aid relief bill that President Biden signed this month does allocate some money specifically to black farmers to try to offset some of the systematic racism, basically, that they faced over the last you know, three, four, five hundred years. And people who classify themselves as Republicans, they say this is not necessary because there has been no evidence of racism and discrimination towards black farmers. New policy, these people. So, yeah. I'm going to buy a plow, man. I'm going to plant that corn. <laughs> Go get a job there. Barack Obama, mother. I'm the president of plowing that air. You. <laughs> I thought the last thing they would want to do is be farmers. Wasn't that a big problem yeah. for hundreds of years? Yeah. Isn't that why Arsenio no. Hall called himself the urban man's Johnny Carson? I think so. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Are people, are people lining up out in the middle of Cornfield, Iowa for new dunks? Uh, how would you prove this, by the way? Like, how would you prove yeah. that you've been discriminated against? You don't against? have to. You just Well, I didn't say, get that loan. We? Sir, you had no credit. Well, that should not have stopped me from getting the loan. Uh, I planted a Hennessy tree, <laughs> but it's not growing. Well, I, well <laughs> technically, it did grow. NXO. Mm -mm. I put it on the ground. <laughs> I planted a VSOP XO tree. I'm getting into niche esoteric cognac humor. <laughs> The COVID relief law is massive with far-reaching impact. It includes debt relief for America's black farmers, long denied government funding. Lisa Desjardins reports. Judy, the new law allocates $5 billion for farmers of color. Most of that aims to erase their debt by paying 120% of their federally backed farm loans. The USDA tells NewsHour that that would help some 14,000 farmers providing $175,000 in relief on average. The struggles of black farmers have been particularly acute. John Boyd is a farmer in southwest Virginia and himself he is also the head of the National Black Farmers Association. Let's start right away. How would this money help black farmers? Well, it's going to give them a, a, a jump start in their uh, farming operation. And uh, first and foremost, this, this measure is uh, historic in nature. Uh, it provides uh, $5 billion, uh, $4 billion for debt relief and other incentives, and $1 billion for uh, outreach and uh, to set up a commission and really look at the issues of discrimination at the United States Department of Agriculture, something I was trying to do for about 30 years. So uh, this is a, a, a huge step in the right direction, especially for Congress and, and uh, for the Ag Department. You are a fourth generation farmer. You're talking about historic discrimination from the U.S. Department of Agriculture in particular. We're talking about loans denied, loans underfunded. Can you take us through how that actually worked for individual farmers like you? What did you experience? Well, basically, we are, many black farmers uh, experience blatant dis discrimination at the United States Department of Agriculture. And I, as a farmer, had uh, my loan application uh, torn and tossed in a trash can. Uh, I've been spat on by the person 
responsible for making farm loans in, in my county here in, in, in Mecklenburg County, uh, Virginia. So discrimination was very, very pervasive where many black farmers was uh, just flat out denied an application and they would come into the office and uh, the local official would say, we don't have any money available. And when white farmers came in, they would process their loans less than 30 days. And for black farmers, it took 387 days on average uh, to process our loans. I have to circle back. You were spat at by a federal official? Yes. Uh, chewing tobacco. He's uh, chewing tobacco juice. He spat on my shirt. And when they came out, the USDA civil rights person investigated him. They asked him, did you spat on Mr. Board's shirt? He said, well, yes, he accidentally missed his uh, spat can. They asked him, did he have problems making loans to black farmers that he only made two uh, that particular year? And he said, well, yes, I think they're lazy and look for a paycheck on Friday. That's the type of discriminatory uh, demeanor that prevented black farmers from prospering in this country when we were denied for access of credit based on based on his race. So he, uh, he would only see black farmers on Wednesday. Uh, so we named it Black Wednesday in our county. All of our letters had 9 a.m. Wednesday, so-and-so. And he would speak loudly and boastfully and downward towards elderly black farmers calling them boy. Uh, so these preacher, people were preachers and, and, and deacons and leaders in their community. And this county supervisor was referring to him as a, as a boy and how he wasn't going to lend us any of his money. And uh, if you quote me right, I believe this the government's money. It's the government's money, taxpayers' money, uh, not his money. So that's the type of discrimination we were facing, and not just in my county, but this was, this was a national uh, uh, epidemic. And, and I would like to call it a national disgrace and embarrassment for, for, mm. for our country that we live in. You know, the statistics are just really hard to grasp. Black farmers in this country from 1910 to 1997 lost 90% of their acreage. I wonder, do you think this money will actually reverse the problem? Meaning, will it expand the number of farmers of color? Or does this money just sort of kind of stem the tide and, and stop things from getting worse? Well, I'm hopeful that uh, we will have some time to regroup. So if a, a farmer can uh, have his debt uh, removed or forgiven, that gives that farmer a little bit of time to uh, look at his farming operation, revamp, regroup, and it also gives us an opportunity to, to stop some of the uh, foreclosures that have been happening against farm, uh, black farmers. So we'll be able to keep more black farmers on the farm and also give them the opportunity to rebuild their farming operation. And mm. that's what I've been after the whole time uh, uh, with my agency work. What do you say to white farmers who see this as reverse discrimination and they say they're struggling also? And I could hear somebody saying that. And, uh, you know, but $29 billion that went out under the previous administration, the Trump administration, black farmers and farmers of color virtually absent. Billions and billions of dollars in loans and subsidies and debt forgiveness. Black farmers have been left out of the equation for decades. What do you call that is my question to them. And why, when they hear about this discrimination, why didn't some of those farmers speak out and said, you know what, we do need to treat black farmers with uh, dignity and respect. Uh, that's my question. And I'm not against them receiving the loans. 
when the act of Mother Nature uh, uh, shows her beautiful face and, and floods and, and all of these things. We want the same thing. And if you were treating black farmers fairly and equally, we wouldn't need a special bill here in the year 2021. John Boyd, soybean farmer and president of the National Black Farmers Association. Thank you for joining. That first clip you heard, unfunny comedian turned into racist podcaster Steven Crowder, who has a all white cast. You heard his take on the discrimination against black farmers. That second clip you heard, courtesy of NPR. Now think about everything that was said during the Trump administration. Twenty nine billion dollars with a B was allocated towards farmers within this was within the last four years black farmers absent all 29 billions went to white farmers now biden he in this covid 19 relief bill he allocated five five billion dollars towards black farmers and now white farmers are calling foul they are upset they are calling it affirmative action they're calling it reverse discrimination they had no problem taking that 29 billion during the last presidential administration and leaving black farmers with nothing but now that black farmers get less than a quarter of that i mean five billion allocated specifically for them to try to offset um some of the discrimination and the systematic racism aimed towards them, now they have an issue with it. As Steven Crowder said, how can you prove you were discriminated against? I mean, it happened so long ago. I mean, can, can, can you prove it? Silly black farmers, you can't plant Hennessy trees. You can't grow Philly blunts. You can't grow, you know, Timberland boots and Jordans. You know, you're out there trying to plant Hennessy trees and reap the benefits of that and it's not working and now you cry calling <laughs> you're crying foul and say you need more money oh man these silly black folks the name of the game is black people are not supposed to get anything tangible we can sit up and we, we can talk about how racism is bad we we, we we could debate how discrimination may have set black people back we we can you know have a study we can have a survey we can um, commission a group to you know sit down and let's talk about it but when it comes to people actually getting something tangible that is not supposed to happen and once again this is not ignorance this is not black uh white people not knowing this is not them being oblivious this is a systematic collective effort to freeze black farmers out of any tangible benefits you just heard in the clip the gentleman was talking about how the person who was in charge of giving out the farming loans in his county basically said he did not want to give any money to black farmers because he felt like, you know, they were lazy. They didn't deserve it. And that was his money. That's the taxpayers money. Right. Anybody who qualifies, qualifies for the loan should have access to it. But they were purposely targeting and <laughs> not giving any money to the black farmers based on race they wanted to make sure all that money got allocated to the white farmers every last cent not an act of ignorance a collective effort an act of racism white supremacy this marks the one year anniversary of the quarantine of the lockdown of the coronavirus pandemic it went by quick spring has sprung again here on the east coast it was 70 or 80 degrees and sunny today 
It's going to be 80 degrees and sunny tomorrow. I hope to get out and enjoy some more of the nice weather as I did today. Got out today. I went for a jog, a nice little three-mile jog. I usually do seven, but I'm, I'm a little rusty. A couple weeks ago, I, I sprained my, my calf muscle. I was diagnosed. I actually, you know, went to see the doctor. I was diagnosed with a grade two calf sprain. So I'm just now starting to feel better. So I, I'm just now getting out there and testing it for the first time today. Held up pretty well. I'm excited to get back out and do some some running outside. I'm just excited to, to go outside, period, to be honest with you. Um, a year in lockdown, things have definitely changed. Got to, you know, we're used to wearing masks at this point. But it's, it's good to see some of the COVID restrictions in most of the country be partially lifted. You know, restaurants are starting to open back up again. Outdoor venues are starting to open them back up, back up again. Not at 100 percent capacity, but no one def no one wants to be robbed <laughs> of a spring in the summer two years in a row. Right? I feel like I was robbed of my spring in my summer last year. I mean, I, I stayed in the, around this time last year for about three straight months. I stayed in the house, you know, not necessarily because I well, Well, yeah, necessarily because I had to. I mean, everything was closed. There was nowhere to go. Like like you all know, I'm sure it's a similar situations wherever you guys live. All the restaurants were closed. Right. Movie theaters closed. Outdoor venues closed. It was really nowhere to go. So, the, you know, you really couldn't do anything but be in the house. But. A year has passed. Um, there is a vaccine out there. How you feel about the vaccine is how you feel about it. From my understanding, about two and a half million Americans are getting vaccinated every day. At this rate, I would say by the summertime, you would have at least a quarter of the country vaccinated. I don't know if that will lead to more of the country being opened up as far as schools sporting events, outdoor events, people going to different festivals, various outside events, and just people feeling more comfortable about getting back outside in general. I know where I lived at, quite a few restaurants over the last year have closed. Um, right up the block for me, guys, two Starbucks closed. You know, I'm not a, I'm, I am not a huge supporter of Starbucks. I, dr I do drink coffee, but I drink coffee at home. I have a Keurig. I, I don't even purchase the Starbucks K-Cups. All right. But it, I just noticed it's unusual. I've never seen Starbucks close down before, let alone two of them. So it's unusual to be <laughs> see a Starbucks close. They close at least four, maybe five restaurants that were there. They are gone now. We have a concert venue, maybe a 10 minute walk from here. Of course, that has been shut down. So I know a lot of businesses have been hurting. A lot of people have been hurting economically. I know the last round of stimulus checks hit last week. So a lot of people that were dependent on the stimulus money. It is my conjecture. This is not I don't have inside information. This is not a fact. It is my belief that this last round of stimulus checks is the just that. That's the last round. I don't think they're going to be giving any more stimulus packages to anybody which leads me to suspect that they are pushing to open things up by the summertime, at least 50 percent capacity. People will have to wear masks, social distance, the whole nine, but at least places will be open. You will have some options if you want to go out and enjoy yourself. 
I think that that will definitely go a long way into boosting the economy nationally because they're just not going to give any more stimulus checks. That's that's over with. Really didn't have that much this week, guys. I don't have I really didn't have that much this week, guys. I don't have anything more that I want to cover. I will say this. You can check out the whole UNU network of podcasts. A taste to consider podcast. Separate the two podcasts. Three stars, two bars podcast. Of course, this podcast. You can go back in the archives and you can check out the UNU podcast. That hasn't gone nowhere. Those episodes are still up. You can check out all those podcasts on iTunes spotify google play you can follow us all on social media you can start by following me on instagram at unprocessed underscore knowledge and you can find everybody else through me i'm sure I want everybody to go out and enjoy themselves, enjoy some of this weather, get out the house, go for a walk, read a book. Reading is more important than watching television. If you want to support the show with some of that stimulus money, you can check out my work on Amazon.com, Hypocrisy in America, The Veil of White Supremacy, Systemic Racism and Capitalism. Alliance of Oppression and my first novel, Exodus 2035, all three books available on Amazon.com. Go ahead. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy what you see, what you hear, if you want to support the show further, go ahead and Am- you can go to Amazon.com. You can check out my work or you can hit up that cash app at dollar sign UK pod. That's it. I'm out of here. I said what I had to say. Adios. See you later. See you next time. You ain't got to go home, but you got to get up out of here. Next time, guys.